Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age podcast. This is C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age, and I am speaking with Seth Rodney and Stephen Fullwood. Gentlemen. Hey. Hello. Hey, hey. Hello. How are you? I'm, I'm Seth Rodney. I am speaking to you from the South Bronx. I'm an editor at the blog blog magazine i don't even know what to call this thing i think i think we should just call it hyperallergic hyperallergic yeah. <laughs> i'm an editor at hyperallergic and i write about art ad nauseum ad infinitum <laughs> it's because you and i hate we don't like the word blog neither one of us ever <laughs> right, like the word right. blog i just I don't, don't. Like that word. Yeah, so, yeah, wow sorry. wow <laughs> i'm stephen fullwood i'm coming to you from uh i think they call it soha possibly really <laughs> Maybe I'm, I think I'm more central Harlem. So it's Saha. But, uh, <laughs> so if I'm calling it that, I may not be here that much longer. Um, and I am the co founder of the uh, Nomadic Archivist Project, an organization that is dedicated to working with individuals and organizations to identify and preserve their archives, specifically looking at African people of African descent. Steven, Steven's going to start wearing a Friends t-shirt to the podcast. Hi, everybody. <laughs> when I come in, that... What's that noise? Every time I walk in the room, it's like, oh, God. Oh. No. <laughs> and this is to remind our listeners that we practice what we call intellectual intimacy, and we try to give ourselves the space uh, and the time and the attention to figure things out out loud. Uh, today we are talking about veterans, uh, military service in general. Veterans Day is coming up when the podcast goes live. Uh, that'll be Veterans Day. So, um, and this came out of a, a back and forth exchange that Seth and Stephen and I had before one of the shows a few weeks ago, and uh, you know we were kind of just bantering back and forth about you know snide comments about military service or you know defending it or whatever. Um, and so we thought, well, you know. Let's let's have a conversation about how people who came up the way that we came up intellectually, sort of shaped by the things that we were shaped by, the books that we were shaped by, um, the professors, um, the cultural content, and talk about uh, military service. So it's always it's always seem. I'll just jump in if we if you guys are okay with that. Mm -hmm. It it seems to me that. Most of the culture, and here's where I get kind of contrarian. Um, most of the culture tends to, at least rhetorically, and at least through most of the news that I see, um, and most of the TV um, shows and films that I, um, uh, I watch, that the military is just slightly under God. Like, like <laughs> in the hierarchy, there's like, you know, whoever, 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 whatever, and then military, and then like the angels, the order of angels, and then, you know, <sighs> God. I've never understood that because in my experience dealing with people who have been or are in the military, and, I, and I'm not close friends with anyone who is, frankly, mm -hmm. um, but in my limited experience... They're not particularly uh, powerful or insightful or uh, uh, brave or none of the things that 
from the things that I I've watched and 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 um, and take in, none of the things that are typically associated with military personnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, and I and I find that my own attitude, sort of when I'm when I'm not really thinking, when I'm just sort of being off the cuff, I find that I probably I I probably have a a slight bit of a lack of respect for military mm. personnel, because I, t- I think mm. I actually tend to think of them as not very smart. Um, and I think I, and I'm not, I don't think that's a fair attitude to have, but I'm not sure mm. that again, it's unwarranted, unfair, mm. but maybe not unwarranted. You know, it would be probably not all that interesting, uh, to just sort of, uh, well, Seth, you know, of course, there are good people in the military and there are bad people in the military and stuff like that. I mean, like, I mean, that's just, it's obvious. I know you know that. It's, you know, it has, it doesn't broaden the conversation at all. Like, it, of course, you know that that's a bias. We all have biases. Of course, any institution that has that many people in it is going to have, you know, some good apples, bad apples, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I, I think probably for me, a more interesting angle to to approach it is i would i would want to say two things i'd want to say the real beef that i think you may have is how the military is used culturally uh in by by certain people in power and by mm-hmm. certain entrenched power interests right. um and two i would and and maybe that it, we'd it'd be a little bit more we could get into it a little bit in a more interesting way depending on what steven thinks uh i would I would want to elevate military service in a particular kind of way, uh, and I have a specific example of that when we get into it a little bit more, um, because I do think that oftentimes people who are trained the way that we are trained have a naive notion of how the world, um, how comedy is enforced amongst strangers. Hmm. Um, and I don't think it happens, uh, without force. Hmm. Uh, I just, I don't. And I, and I know, I know Steven probably, uh, uh, might have a a contrary view on this, which I appreciate. So, well, I'm not really sure. Um, if I have a contrary one, I was just thinking about, so I was following this sort of trip, um, what Seth laid out in terms of the respect, respect for military. However, it's really, you know, thought of or manifested. My thing was that there was, it wasn't a romance to me once I got older, but when I was younger, the mm-hmm. sort of TV shows and the the ways in which military men or men in our, in our community came back with, you know, in their greens. And mm-hmm. it was, I, I thought it was fine. And my sister joined the army and I have other family members who were in different branches of the service. And I have good friends that were, mm-hmm. it was the red badge of courage that really tore me up. It's by Stephen Crane. And it was the first time that I ever. It's a wonderful book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A book. Thought of, thought of how war looked like from a personal point of view, someone mm-hmm. in the war. Yeah. So it wasn't very romantic and it wasn't, they came over the, um, you know, and we stormed them. And, and so they have these conflicting ideas about mil- the military in terms of, I do know people who've entered the military who seem to be ready to be, to find some structure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then in our community post the post um, factory work, you know, post the Rust Belt, essentially that was like um, Michael Moore said, it's one of the ways that people got out 
right. of their economic situations. Right. And so those people were seen as, you know, heroes, in a, and not heroes, but they got out. That's a better way to put it. Mm. So yeah, I have it's an a, opportunity for a lot of people in this country. Right. So yeah. it's definitely economics, you know, in terms of, you know, and also for people who parlayed that into um, GI um, bills and they used it to go to school and do all kinds mm -hmm. of wonderful things. Mm -hmm. But speaking to those people individually, you'll get very diverse answers about how they how the military treated them, how they how they use the military and so forth. So mine's, uh, my sensibilities are all over the place when it comes to the military, um, particularly around masculinity. You know, mm -hmm. that's one thing, you know, you learn how to be with others, mm -hmm. you know, and you learn how to be with others that are not like you. And so but yeah, I have some a couple more stories, but that's kind of what I want to start out with. Well, yeah. I do think that that's a, a really rich vein to take the conversation in uh, talking about masculinity, because I think that maybe one of the ways in which I ha have learned to have a lack of respect for military personnel, I should say, and and I think what Travis had indicated before it can help me nuance this, I should say the ways that images of the military have been sold to me. Right, so not actual yeah. military, but like yeah. the sort of cultural construction of military personnel. Mm -hmm. That I find uh, I have little respect for. I think partly because the the kind of masculinity I've always seen sold alongside it is exactly the kind of man I don't want to be. Yeah. I don't. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be loud and boisterous. I don't want to be domineering. I don't want to show my power by essentially belittling or maiming or killing other people. That's not of interest to me. Yeah. There are other you ways know, that I can show my power. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting about that is that would, I think if you were to speak with kind of uh, traditional military men in in the sense of men and women right so I, I shouldn't I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't gender it uh, that uh, that sort of quiet reserve and strength and um, subdued demonstration of power mm. is something that would have been emblematic of an officer mm. and is still how it's at least talked about in, you know, sort of like officers candidate uh, schools and certainly, you know, West Point's traditions and in, in Annapolis and, and, and whatnot. It's really not there's a time and a place, you know, on the field where those sort of more aggressive masculine traits can be exercised. But off the mm. field, there should be a kind of decorum. Um <sighs> Now, now, I'm not saying that's actually what happens. Oh no, no, at no I all. get it. Right, 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 right. So, mm -hmm. but that that but that is the. I mean, it, the military, and this get, kind of gets to to where I, I I hesitate to go too far in the discussion because I really I loved Stephen's point. Um, like for example, my dad uh, mm -hmm. told me explicitly that uh, being in the military helped uh, him deal with uh, the racism he grew up with right. as wow. far as like, as far as how he was taught to think about black bodies. I mean, right. he didn't use those words, right? My dad doesn't right. talk like that, but right. you mm -hmm. know, like how he and the military being in Vietnam actually is what 
is what re- helped recalibrate that for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, and Stephen's point about kind of the regiment, the, the culture and the regimentation being a necessary structure to allow that many strangers and that much difference to interact in the same sphere and to even perhaps lay down your life for that person that is a stranger. Like, that is a potent force in human history, and it continues to be. And so if I think that its its social functions should in some ways be elevated, just in the ways that are different than they're than they currently deployed. You know, F-16s over NFL games and oh, crap yeah. like that right. is just that, dumb. That bullshit, but, right. Um, yeah, but I love what you said about the quiet decorum, right, and that mm. sort of that sort of reserve, almost like, you know, the different ways in which um, some martial arts forms, you know, you use your power when you need to. Yeah. Yeah. But what I, the side that you heard earlier was thinking about how, how you've got young people going into the service who are still sort of wrestling with who they are and what they are and trying to work that out. But then through insecurity or through um, whatever it is they bring to the service is kind of what they get out. So, Mm -hmm. A professor of mine told me years ago, you know, if you go into college dumb, you'll probably come out dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm not sure, you know, yeah, but I'm uh, thinking, you know, but, the, I believe to the, that's to, but to the point, it's really about what you're bringing with you. And so if you're hyper-masculine before you go in, in the army or service, any service, you're probably likely, I don't know how that could be tempered in an environment like that. Right. You know, it's wonderful, but I love Seth Trump. It's it just, I had to get this out. That, you know, what's wonderful about that is it's, uh, um, it's very platonic, right? So you, mm-hmm. you already know the things, you know, or what, you know, and they have to be sort of uncovered. And Nietzsche uses that to defend Platonism, essentially that you could go to school for a decade and still not know anything. And but, right. But and, absolutely. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was it. Just, just, just like I just, I, just uh, as a as a connection. So please, right? Yeah, no. It makes me think of people like um, Chris Kobach, you know, who who I think has a degree mm-hmm. from Harvard, or what's his name, mm-hmm. the guy mm-hmm. we talked about the other week, who has this like high, the most highly uh, rated uh, radio show. What's his name? The Rush cons- Limbaugh. No, 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 no. The the Jewish Alex guy, Jones? younger. Oh, uh, who? We, oh, we I'm were talking sure. about how he challenged. Ocasio, uh, Ocasio oh, Cortez to, to a d- debate. Ben Shapiro. That's the one. Yeah. Yes, he has a degree from Harvard too. And anyway, that's an aside. <laughs> let's <laughs> let me. Let's, What's a good aside? Let's let's, let's, go, yeah. let's go back to um, the quiet reserve thing. So I do a lot of my thinking through uh, uh, things I read and things I watch, and I remember the film Crimson Tide from I think mm. it was the late. 80s or early 90s with mm-hmm. um, not sure but two two of two of the best actors around still around mm-hmm. um uh Denzel Washington and um Gene Hackman mm-hmm. uh, and essentially long story short they end up being at odds and uh Denzel Washington plays the junior officer mm-hmm. and they are uh in a situation in which they have come close to getting into a nuclear fracas with Russia. Mm-hmm. And Denzel's character holds the key to a particular device. I think it's the armament, the, it's the device to arm the, the, the nuclear warhead. They're mm-hmm. on a sub, I should mention they're on a submarine. 
um, they had uh, a nuclear capable submarine, and he is the holds the key by which they can arm it, uh, the device, and Gene Hackman demands the key from him. And I remember at some point, maybe actually he had it in his hand, and then he puts it around his neck, tucks it into mm-hmm. his shirt, and looks at him and says, no, I'm not giving you this key. And then Gene Hackman's character slaps him. Not mm-hmm. punch, slaps mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. I think he slaps him more than once. I think he slaps him and he, he slaps, slaps him, him again. Twice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And Denzel just looks at him. He just keeps looking at him. And basically he's saying... You can't, you, you and I both know you're not strong enough to take the key from me. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to respond to your act of aggression mm-hmm. with aggression. I'm just going to hold the key because I am not going to let this war happen here and now, given the flimsy evidence we have of some putative provocation from the Russians. Mm-hmm. It's a powerful scene. And that's why it stuck uh, with me. Um, it is. But it is about showcasing that kind of quiet, determined reserve. That is a kind of power that I think doesn't enough get associated with military personnel. Agreed. Completely. Yeah, you know, the scene that the scene with the, that you're talking about, uh, Quentin Tarantino wrote the dialogue for the that get scene where they where they here. where they talk about the Libidsonder stallions. Yeah. So they they need they brought in a he was a script doctor on that uh oh, in that wow. film. And so that that scene in particular where he talks about how they're born black or the 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 the, the Libensoner stallions are cuz Gene Hackman has this line about like you know the 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 best horses in the world are white or something like that and <laughs> couldn't turn t- and uh, uh Denzel Washington says that they're born black that was apparently a conversation that Quentin Tarantino had overheard at, at a table at a restaurant or something like that wow and so he he brought that in which anyway whatever it's it's an, it's, an, it's a it's an unnecessary side it just it's it's such a great scene. Um, it's a great scene, and you know. So I think you know the I I um, I think that not enough intellectual um, creativity from the humanities has been spent in the twentieth and twenty first centuries on thinking through. Um, the nece- the necessity of sacrifice to hold together uh large scale social formations right so i wow. mean we we can certainly talk about we, we talk about sacrifice an anthropologist has no problem going to watch you know like a goat get sacrificed or or mm-hmm. watch whatever sort of uh totemic or reenacted symbolic sacrifices that are done in more primitive cultures. But I, in, in my understanding of, of history, I don't think we ever outgrow that. Hmm. I don't, I don't think, I don't think countries, religions, large scale organizations of human beings beyond the interpersonal, right? Clearly, Seth and Steve, we don't need like a we don't need to sacrifice a rabbit, right, to right. be friends. Mm-hmm. We, we there's a whole host of associations that are built around that. But when when strangers and when people who are different than us come into the mix, that pact has to be sealed in blood. Wow, I mean that quite literally, and I think that that is I I, I think that we 
I think, and I, I say our tribe on the left, I think that we have run away from that realization. And I think that it's at the heart of, uh, of our, our fear of power. Um, and it's, it's an aspect of being embodied in a contentious world. Um, so, and, and I think the military is an extension of that. And I think to honor oh, yeah. that is, is, uh, is necessary if you're going to, if you're going to stay together. I think the reason why you might not be seeing that, that particular omission in terms of the literature or the cultural work around, um, the sacrifice, so to speak, mm-hmm. is because it's, I think that's where the mythologies come in around why it's a, an important thing to do. And we cross the Potomac at this time. And then you have that sort of, I think that's where the myths come in because I'm not sure about the left running from it necessarily. I think the left sometimes just, it may suffer from a lack of imagination in lieu of that kind of blood sacrifice that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, the, it, if that pact that's sealed, sealed in blood, we, we're still doing the same motherfucking things that we've been doing for eons around land, ownership, food. And so I think that we just don't have a lot of sensibilities around a life without war. Hmm. Yeah, my, my suggestion is I don't know that we can have a life without war yet. That's, my, I, I don't, that's the yeah, imagination I part. That. Yeah. So, well, I, so, I mean, we're, it's, yes. So the, I guess I should say mm-hmm. maybe perhaps not literal war, right? So Edmund Burke, who, you know, the, the mm-hmm. famous conservative, uh, talks about essentially that war has a clarifying, um, purpose for, um, a nation. Right. So not not just that it not just that it clarifies purpose and that you want this land, you want this territory, et cetera, but that it helps cohere the 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 nation together. Right. Mm. So but that actual war bodies being blown up, people being stabbed is just stupid and ugly. So the prox the, the closer you can get to war the more emboldening and ennobling in some ways it becomes, the way that we discipline our binds and our bodies in its preparation. But in the actual execution of it, it just becomes an ugly pedestrian mess. So my question is, then, is Burke suggesting, or are you suggesting, Travis, that things like organized sports or organized games like boxing can be a proxy for war. And in other words, would, could we possibly have a culture in which those are these, this large group of strangers find comedy through those things like football and boxing? It's a, it's a great, it's a great extension. I, I believe that. I don't think Burke, I don't know that Burke thought that, but okay. I, I mean, he's, I, I absolutely, I mean, Nelson Mandela thought it. I mean, this was the whole move to, to, um, to create an integrated South African soccer team, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this, like, I huh. yeah, I very much believe that. Like, I huh. I definitely believe that that competitive sports can have, um, can 
right? Doesn't necessarily does, right? You need to have a you need to have a, a critical mass of people that are invested in uh, the winning or losing of the team. Um, but yes, I mean, and certainly the Greeks thought it, right? I mean, that's the Olympics. I mean, this is not, you know, I mean, this has been around for a long. This idea has been around for a long time. Well, I mean, what made me think so is um, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the notion that we there has to be some sort of yeah pay, payment in blood, right? I'm trying to, but but when I think about Games like football, um, let's just stick with that, a- a- American football, mm. these guys really do pay in blood. And the oh, thing is, yes. and the thing is, Absolutely. and the thing is, the, the fans, in, in, I mean, in a, in a really palpable way, demand it. They demand mm-hmm. that these guys just, mm-hmm. I mean, think about what um, people have said in the last few years as they found out more information about uh that particular disease yes and that, yeah. and that particular kind of degenerative uh 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 condition that repeated concussive injuries cause mm-hmm. think about the things that some people have said out out loud about that like oh these guys need to man up oh what are you gonna be a mm-hmm. baby now oh all these you want to turn all these the football into some women's sport like literally yeah. people saying that men essentially saying men should be hurt they should, uh, mm-hmm. uh, they should, they should lose some part of themselves to the game. The game. That's war. That's we're talking about war. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, I don't mean it flippantly. I don't want to assign anyone to this whose job this is to, you know, to to conduct this war or this mm-hmm. this putative war. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, I, I think that the idea that you can have a a weak and flimsy military mm-hmm. and still be a potent cultural force in the world is a fantasy wow uh, i i think i i just i don't think it's real now there i i it's probably we're the podcast is getting you know we're pushing up against time there is a counterexample in history that would argue against what i'm saying okay um and and that and that is uh what's sometimes what's sometimes called sanskritization which was the rapid spread of south asian sanskritic culture culture throughout south asia mm-hmm. so with without a corresponding military uh, uh aggression so there is a counterexample. I'm very suspicious of it, um, but but there are people that know way more about it than I do that have made that argument. So so hmm. anyway, so I'm say, that is that is my position. But I do understand that there there is a counterargument to be made. Well, I appreciate that because I feel like what if there was a physical motion that you need to do is to sort of throw your hands up and say this is the way it is. <laughs> and if we're going to be safe and we're going to protect our moms and babies, then we need to do this. And I really hold that space open. I'm not smart enough yet, but give me three seconds and I'll figure it out. That there's a way to live in the world without war. There has to be, you know. So I hold that space, and I'd like to continue this conversation. Maybe not in another podcast. Maybe later because there are other examples I want to kind of bring up with you guys, but. This has been really thoughtful. Really, yeah. you got a couple. You can you can pull up one. You got we got a couple minutes. If you want to, if you have a counterexample, bring it up. Well, it's not, it's not even a counterexample to what you're saying. But I was thinking earlier about this masculinity thing, and I think that in my complicated way of looking at the military and soldiers and so forth, because it's not so easy to extract myself 
from the people that I know who really benefited from being in the military or people who did sacrifice their lives or who died or, you know, lost a limb or something. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about the ways in which film and the ways kind of like what Seth said or whatever, the way that the military is presented to us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the one thing was that I felt like I'm being set up to believe <laughs> that this kind of masculinity is worthy of um, worthy of emulation, um, emulating. It's a terrible, like most of the mask. I'm thinking of um, clockwork, a clockwork orange, not a clockwork orange. What's the other one? This is a. Um, oh, you mean the Stanley Kubrick war film? Yeah, the war film. What is Apoc- yeah. Apocalypse Now? Right. Yeah, it was just. It was very like, why would I want to even engage in that? Not just the war part, but just like the training and the and the constant sort of monitoring of one's masculinity. And I love it when I'm watching a film and they have all the archetypes. They have the ultra-masculine guy and the crazy guy, and they have the soft guy, and then they have the guy who's sort of like, we're supposed to, the everyman guy who's supposed to um, change in a bit, change a bit. Like he understands war now, or he pulls back, and we're supposed to sort of, I'm just like, a, I'm so exhausted with those examples. I'm like, no, there are other people. And the Black Phalanx, this is my last example. The Black Phalanx, which is a book that basically up until the, let's say it's from the, the um, Revolutionary War to the Civil War <laughs> focused on the um, anecdotal and the, um, the um, testimony of Black soldiers mm-hmm. for which were always fighting for their freedom, whether or not they were actually free men or enslaved men. And it's an amazing book. It's one of the first books that sort of captures those narratives. Mm-hmm. Books like that and the materials at the Schomburg gave me a, a closer look at the way Black soldiers engaged in these um, forms of supposed freedom. They'd come back from war and there would be riots. <laughs> and, you know, from World War One, World War Two, people would constantly sort of like, so you fought over wherever you did, but when you come back here, you'll still be a nigger. Yeah. Yeah, so there's no doubt, there is yeah. no doubt that that the United States has absolutely betrayed its principles in relation to race from the beginning and mm-hmm. in every way, shape, or form. And that it and one of the reasons that the country is as broken as it is, is we're still paying for that betrayal. Mm-hmm. And 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 what yeah. and, and and yeah yeah uh, no I mean sort of like broadly construed right I mean not mm. not just with not just with Africans but natives I mean just like you know across mm-hmm. the board yeah. and that we have lied we have lied about what would what would purchase your seat at the table and and one of the and one of the most egregious ways that we have lied about that is to say that if you serve your country that you will be welcomed at the table. That was a betrayal, a betrayal. I'm sorry, Seth, go ahead. No, 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 I'm not, I'm, I just want to kind of bring things to a close. And by yeah. saying, I think we should talk about this more, Stephen. I think that you you brought up some points that really need to be pursued. I want to just add to the mix. Uh, one thing that should be talked about too is the way that men, and this is part of the masculinity thing, I think the way that soldiers are sexualized. I think there are very, very mm. few ways in our culture for men to be sexy. I actually think that being a soldier is one of them. So oh, wow. we probably okay. should talk about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So for the next podcast, do we, uh, 
I am. We had previously discussed uh, talking about mothers, but I'm also okay with continuing the conversation. Um, on it looks like you guys would rather change the topic and and stick with our original plan, which is talk about mothers next time. I don't know, Stephen. How do you feel? Uh, I can go either way, but since there are three of us, let me just say I can continue talking about the military and war. I can definitely do it. Yeah, okay. I, I'd prefer to do that actually. Okay, all right. So, so, so we'll do part two of veterans next time. Good. Um, gentlemen, thanks very much for the conversation, as always. Indeed. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, we'll talk to you soon.